So we're joined today with Dr. Laurel Trainer, the director of the McMaster University's Live Lab. Welcome. Oh, thank you. So as director of Live Lab, what are some of the most groundbreaking studies that you have encountered? Well, we've done a lot of things in the Live Lab. It's a very flexible space. Uh, we have active acoustics in there, so we can change um, in an instant the reverberation and how, uh, where sounds are coming from and so on. We can also measure um, EEG in multiple musicians as they play together or in audience members. We can uh, do detailed analyses of their movements heart rate, other physiology, so it's uh, an incredibly flexible space and uh, so there's quite a few projects that are, are pretty interesting that we've done in there. Um, some of the ones that are most interesting to me have to do with um, music and nonverbal communication. Yeah, so we, we all know that music affects us um, emotionally, um, it can make us feel better when we're sad, um, but it also can have uh, more therapeutic effects, so in, in uh, development, um, music actually can, can help the brain get wired up for language and for perception in general. Um, but we really don't understand a lot of the social aspects of music. So we have music at parties, we have music at weddings at funerals, at sporting events, so we basically have music anytime we want people to come together and feel a common bond. So we've been sort of investigating uh, things around uh, this, this topic, and so one of the, the sort of the big puzzles is how do people even play music together? So when you, when you um, play music, if you're playing an instrument, you have to, you know, play your own notes and, and, and be anticipating what's coming up so your you know, fingers and, and so on are in the right place at the right time. But when you play with other people, you also have to anticipate what they're going to do. And if you sort of wait to hear what they do, it's too late, you're not going to be with them. And so the tempo can change, the dynamics can change, uh, the phrasing, all of that stuff, uh, and people feed off each other. So we've been investigating uh, just how these, these uh, nonverbal cues uh, ex get executed um, in behavior and in the brain. And so one of the things we've done is looked at motion capture of body sway. So when musicians play, they have to move their fingers or whatever to play their instrument, but they also move their bodies. Right. And they really don't have to move their bodies to play their instrument. Uh, but if they don't move their bodies, it's actually hard for them to play. Uh, and largely they're not even conscious that they're doing these movements. It's a little bit like gesturing with your hands when you talk. Mm, right. if, if you prevent someone from gesturing, it actually makes it harder for them to talk. So there's something about that motor connection with perception and action um, that helps us organize uh, our um, perception and our motor plans about how we're going to execute things. So we measure body sway in musicians as they play together and uh, we found that we could predict from the way one person swayed their body at one moment in time how another musician was going to sway their body next. Oh wow. So that means that there's communication. Right? Mm -hmm. So uh, one musician is affecting the other musician um, and the second musician is also affecting the first musician. And so then we've done a series of experiments where we've sort of manipulated this in various ways so 
uh, we've manipulated in a string quartet who is the leader. So normally it's the first violin, but we said, okay, on one trial, maybe the viola is now the leader. And then we measure how much communication is there from one musician to another, and we can actually change the communication patterns among the string quartet by who they think is leading and who they think is, is following. Um, we've also looked at, used it to look at um, emotional expression. So um, when musicians play emotionally, there's a lot more communication that goes on between them than when they just play dead right. band. Yeah. Um, so it's also reflecting their communication. And one of the most interesting things to me is that even when we set up a situation where the musicians can't see each other, the way one is moving is still affecting how another one moves. So we think that this movement, it's not just the body sway, it's not yeah. just movement, but it's actually reflecting their brain processes. It's reflecting how they're thinking and how they're planning and phrasing and what they're going to do. So it's sort of a proxy for what's going on in their brain. So how... Like, how do you think that they're, you know, picking up on each other's body language or body movement without actually seeing them? Yeah, so I don't believe in mental telepathy, so <laughs> uh, it's, it's got to be through the sound. Right. So the way, the sound that a musician produces um, is actually telling you something about how they're going to play next. So there might okay. be some subtle thing, they might be slowing down a little bit, and that's telling you, oh, you know, maybe we're coming to the end of a phrase in their mind here. Right. Um, so the sound itself is communicative, and they can pick up on those cues in the sound and predict how each other are going to play over the next bit, and that enables them to play together. So would you say that, like, in professional musicians, that's probably a lot more prevalent than in like people who haven't been playing as long, or do you think that anyone, no matter their musical level, like could pick up on those cues? Like, do you think that's just inherent to people? Or yeah, that's a great question, and it's probably honed in professional musicians. But I think we all have it. Mm. And one of the things about music that's really interesting is its timing structure. So it's rhythm, right? And uh, if you think about it, rhythms are so powerful because they're they enable prediction. So if you have a steady beat, you know, so you have, you know exactly when the next beat right. is going to be expected, yeah. right? So we know that the brain, so in other studies that we've done, we know that the brain is constantly predicting what is going to happen next and when it's going to happen next. Mm. And so the, this timing, rhythmic timing structure in music really enables that. And you don't have to be a musician to feel that, right? right. So. If you think about it, you couldn't really dance to music um, at all if you weren't able to predict when the next beat was going to occur. Because if you wait to hear, oh, there's a beat, and now I, now I should move my foot or whatever, uh, it's, it's too late. So right. your brain has to predict ahead of time when you should do those movements. So we all have these, these, pr these very uh, strong predictive capacities, uh, but probably musicians have honed them, especially in the situation of playing music. Mm -hmm. And other experts in different fields probably have honed them to different. For sure, you know. <laughs> so people who are, you know, say soccer players um, or hockey players, the best players are the ones, you know, not only that can, you know, kick the ball the best or whatever, but are also the ones that are best at predicting where the other players are going to go. Right. Because in in those, especially those team sports, you know, basketball, soccer, mm -hmm. hockey, um, you have to predict where in the next 
few seconds, other people are going to be on the field so that if you're going to pass the ball or, or whatever, uh, you know your teammate is going to be there and you, you try to predict another, someone from the other team is not going to be there. Mm -hmm. So these predictive processes are found everywhere. Um, and they're also in our social interactions. So uh, another study that we did in the live lab was on actually speed dating. Oh. <laughs> and so in just communication with someone you've never met before, um, and you have three minutes to have an interaction with them, uh, we measured, again, using this, the same idea, we measured their body sway. And we measured how predictive the body sway of one person was with their partner, um, and vice versa. And we found that we could actually predict who was going to match at the end of the evening from how communicative they were in terms of their body oh, sway. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's not just some esoteric thing that happens in music. Mm -hmm. it, it, we're, we're kind of using music as a model for understanding uh, social interaction in general. Right, right. Um, so have you ever encountered results that you just didn't expect at all? Like you, you, know, you made your hypothesis and then they just, something totally different happened? Yeah, well, I, I guess um, initially in the, the study I, I described earlier where when they couldn't see each other, body sway was still predictive. Okay, We yeah. didn't expect that at all. We thought, okay, we'll be able to eliminate uh, body sway because mm -hmm. it's a visual cue. So if they can't see each other, then they, they shouldn't show communication by body sway. And they did. <laughs> and so that made us really think again about what is body sway reflecting. Right. And so we thought, well, now we think it's actually reflecting thought processes. Wow. Um, which, is, which is pretty cool. And so we've also now moved to doing um, EEG studies where we measure brain responses uh, between groups of musicians as they play and also between audience members as they uh, experience a concert. Right. Um, so with the brain measures, we have a more direct sort of measure of what's going on in people's brains. And we can show there as well that there's communication between um, between musicians. Um, and it's not just that their brains are going to do similar things at similar times, so synchrony, there is synchrony that, that happens. But what's sort of more interesting to me is that there's also predictive processes going on. So you can look at the some brain state that's going on in one person. And from that, you can predict what another person in the musical group, what their brain is going to be doing moments later. Wow. So okay. so you can actually measure, we call that communication, or in, hmm. theoretically it's called information flow, but it, it really is communication hmm. from one signal to another, in this case, the, the brain signal of one person to the brain signal of another person. Wow. Very cool. So is there any way... I guess, does body sway, I know you said it reflects thought processes, is there any way to kind of have a, almost a quantitative measure based on, you know, some sort of body movement or some, like an EEG or something of human emotion, or is that more so you have to, like, ask people about it and it's just up to the individual to, you know, say what they were feeling at that time? Yes, you can get, um, uh, you will get certain activation of certain areas in the brain, so the limbic system. Uh, when people are experiencing emotions. Um, those measures are more easily gained with uh, techniques like um, MRI oh. than with EEG okay. because the limbic system is quite deep in the brain, so we don't get as good a signal from, that, from those areas of the brain when we do EEG. Mm. 
However, that said, um, emotional uh, experiences will also show up in other physiology. So for example, uh, something that we measure is galvanic skin response. And basically, it's, it's tiny increases in sweating. Oh. Uh, so, for example, we can put a, a couple of, of um, sensors on your finger and we can measure how uh, the, the conductance, basically, so how much sweat there is, how much water mm -hmm. there is there, uh, which affects the, the, the conductance um, between the, those two probes. And from that, we can measure really subtle changes in emotional responses. And generally that mostly reflects arousal, so as someone becomes more emotional, they'll exhibit these, and they can mm -hmm. be very small, they might not even be aware that they're sweating a little bit more, but we can pick, we can pick that up. Right. Yeah. And so that indicates higher emotion, but it probably, it doesn't indicate, you know, whether it's more sadness or more happiness or excitement or... That's right. And it turns out that um, it's much easier for us to measure arousal. So emotion has sort of two basic... Um, dimensions. One is valence, so is it positive or negative? Mm -hmm. And the other one is arousal, so are you just feeling calm or are you feeling very excited? Right. Um, and a lot of these measures actually, it's the arousal that's easier to measure physiologically. That makes sense, yeah. Um, I actually think that's all the time that we have, but okay. it was so nice to talk to you. Thank you so much. Very, very yeah. interesting and yeah, yeah. mind-blowing that you're able to measure all these yeah. thought processes with music. Wow. My pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> so that was Dr. Laurel Trainer.